Uh, hello and welcome to what we have redubbed, Max, uh, Shallow Dives, which I actually, it, that name grew on me after a while because uh, if we're doing the show right, it's the exact opposite. Much like Where's My Burrito, which is a stupid kind of meandering, doesn't really kind of do, uh, you know, it gives you like the thesis statement of what our show is, but doesn't give you anything else, right? Like you're still left in the dark. I think this is a little bit different, man. Like we have a, we, we've named the thing that we hate so that we can take a deep dive, you know, into these things that we really like. And uh, we figured uh, we would we would kill movies and shit officially, redub the shallow dives. And uh, what better way to start, Max, than with the 92nd Academy Awards, right? Let's take a look at the best pictures and all the awards and kind of talk about how we felt about those movies and stuff. Um, should be fun, right? This is a good year for movies. You've been telling me that. Yeah, I mean, the more the more that I see from this year, the more I I'm like, damn, what a good year for movies! And it's but it's starting to make me reevaluate previous years and wonder, did I just not watch enough things from that year? Because right. if you're strictly sticking with the prestige pictures and maybe some like A twenty four releases for you know your uh, indie cred or whatever, you're not going to see that much every year. And I've really been trying to. I don't know what your methodology is here. I know you haven't seen as much as I have, but that's just because I'm like a crazy person and I'm like buckling down in the last month right. and this past month to just see as much as possible. So like what I'm doing is I'll go to any publication that has like a best of 2019 list and immediately eliminate the ones that include Avengers Endgame anywhere near the top 15 <laughs> and uh, just work my way through those lists as much as I can. And the more lists I find, the more I'm like, fuck, I'm not even like, 10% of the way through the things that I apparently need to see. Right. But, you know, here we are. Uh, well, I ran out of time. Is that a good thing? Or, I mean, I think it's a great thing for the state of film, right? Like there's so much happening right now and so much of it's slipping through the cracks, which you would think is sad, but I think it's the fact that it's being made is great. The fact that it's there, we're in the time now where it can be found later, I think is also really yeah. But what I'm saying specifically to you, and we'll talk about this, because I think we were talking about sort of splitting this up between like, hey, this is what was nominated, and we'll give you our mm. opinions and what the chances are, but also like here's our personal lists. And I just yeah. wonder, like of the, so there's nine nominations, right? Mm -hmm. if, I, if I said, give me a top 20, I don't even think, yeah. according to what you've told me lately, that the majority of the top nine that were nominated would make your top 20 like i'm sure like maybe four or five of them would like but you just from what you've told me lately about how good this has been for film uh i i, I would give it to like three or four of them maybe uh, of the nine and uh, and there are even more on that list for the best picture nominations that i would not be upset if they won this is one of those rare years where it's not majorly movies that i either have problems with or i think or just fucking boring or trash Oscar bait or whatever. Like there, there's a healthy variety in the best picture race for the Academy, but almost none of those are in my top five. Right. You know? So. Well, that's what what's is. interesting. And I think we'll get into that when we do a follow-up episode to this, which was like, yeah. Hey, the, the, the real best movies. Um, I mean, certainly there's a couple on that list, like you said, that are great, but I think there was a lot more that kind of went unnoticed. And maybe I want to give you a challenge because you were bringing this up. I think it's a really good point. I remember like we used to do our movie night things and I would purpose, purposely try to swerve and pick things that I hadn't seen. Mm -hmm. um, but also like things that ordinarily like no one would see. Uh, and the two things I right. remembered was like, I did uh, the lives of others, the German film from like 2005 or something. Like we watched, it's all about like this German guy who's like 
wiretapping Berlin and he can like mm-hmm. listen into the private lives of people and stuff. And like, we watched it on the movie nights and shit. And it's like, sometimes you need to take those kind of swings because you know, what else is there? So what I was going to say to you is if you mm-hmm. want to go back and kind of look for similar lists using your methodology uh, and kind of put a curriculum together, like, yo, the best shit that I didn't see. You know what I mean? Because I would totally. Wait, are, are you talking from like 2019 for? No, no, no. no. For I'm talking me, about for going, both of us. No, no, no. Going back. I mean, 2019, of course. I'm talking about going back because you said like it's making you go back and reevaluate other yeah. years. Being like, what, 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 what did I just miss some stuff? And I'm, and I'm one. That's oh, yeah. what I'm curious about. It's like how far back would you go? Uh, and at that point, I would like love for you to make a list because uh, you know there's so much shit. And you watch so much more because you have. I think you have more time. You're up at night and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, I, also, I also make it a priority. You know, like it's my goddamn job. I suffer for for this. You know, I suffer for the people for the pod. We all know art is hard. I'm putting in the work. All right, guy, settle down. <laughs> You're gonna tucker yourself out. We haven't even got to the nominees. Yeah, and fucking look, mook. Look, let's get into that if you don't mind, right? So let me. I'll go through the uh, the best picture nominees. Uh, and then I, th- I think what we said we'll do is we'll go by uh, one by one, kind of talk about them. We'll start wherever you want to start, but let's just list them uh, to begin with. All right. So sure. uh, first nominee, Ford versus Ferrari, uh, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite. All right. So I, before we get, I don't want to do this thing where we're going to rank them up top. I don't want to do that. What I want to do though yeah. is of the, of the nine that I just named, what are your like initial, Hey, here's what you need to know about your personal preferences. You know what I'm saying? Um, because it's like, I, as I mean, you're going do, into do you want me to like start with the movies I like the most? Or do you want to just like hit this one by one? Like, here's what I thought of Ford versus Ferrari. What do you think? Sure. Of I mean, hey, like I'm going to let you drive, man, because it'd be shallow okay. of me not to. So you start. Well, you know what? Uh, first in the list app alphabetically is Ford versus Ferrari, um, which I know you just watched, yeah. like literally just finished 10 minutes ago or whatever or before we started recording and I watched like a couple days ago. Um, now you're, you're coming off of this like, a little fresher than I am. Uh, sure. What were your initial uh, Ford versus Ferrari thoughts? I got some of them in the beginning. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. Uh, it's a good movie. No, I want to start there. Like, hey, it's a good movie. Uh, yeah. It has like some really lovely small moments. It would also help that it was a movie that I was super unfamiliar with the story. A lot of these times when you have these like inspired by true events, you right. either know the story or the marketing hooks you and you're like, what the fuck? Let me look this up. And then you sort of know the story beforehand. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was great to go into this fresh. And I think like, it just kind of really reminds me that the best experiences when you go into movies is like, if you know almost nothing about it. Like, I just feel like the last couple times I've had that, like, I don't know what's going to happen. It's been this wonderful experience. Yeah. Um, but so Ford, for, uh, Ford versus Ferrari, I think right off the bat, my opinions, and I'll hand it back over to you. I think Mangold, uh, James Mangold is a wonderful fucking director who does not mm-hmm. get kind of the credit that he deserves. Uh, we'll bring him back up when we talk about another nominee on the Best Pictures a little bit later. You're talking about Little Women, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, obviously. Yeah, because when I think Mangold, what I think... Right. <laughs> uh, no, so... You think the trials and tribulations of, you know, a bunch of teenage girls who grow into little women, yeah. 
Yeah, it's beautiful. They're little women, Max. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't you? Come on, and by the way, a bunch of little, <laughs> little women. women. <laughs> by the way, let me disclaim this now, which is very sad. I'm watching Little Women tomorrow at the time of this recording. You are the only uh, one. Of us. I agree, and it's the soft bigotry. No, I'm. I'm actually the soft. <laughs> that's like one of your favorite things to reference. Wasn't that like from some fucking like uh, Bush official? I think it's Obama speech, man. The soft bigotry. No, that, expectations. I'm pretty sure that's like from the the No Child Left Behind Act, man. The soft know, bigotry looks. Hey, man. Obama said it again. That's all that matters. <laughs> to me. Obama. He yeah, yeah. Bush, Bush. Bush may have said it, but Obama perfected it, man. <laughs> Bush wrote it, and Obama checked it out of the library and did not return. Right, stop high roading me, you fuck boy. Listen, let's 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 stay on task <laughs> you here, fuck boy. <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, uh, Ford versus Ferrari. So yeah, uh, James Mangold, wonderful director. Didn't mean to get you off track. I agree. I, I think the guy is wonderful. Um, I said to you before, but 310 to Yuma uh, came out in 2007, which was like the year of the Western revival. You had movies like No Country for Old Men, uh, There Will Be Blood, Assassination to Jesse James, and 310 for Yuma. Um, 310 to Yuma like ended up being one of my favorites from that year uh one of my favorites from that decade just by being a very well-made kind of old-fashioned hollywood story um and that's kind of how i felt about this uh i'm not saying it's one of my favorites of the decade or even the year um but i'm not mad at it it's one of those uh, and i said it to you before it's one of those oscar movies like prototypical oscar movies that hits all of those oscar story beats but it's just so formally and technically well shot and well acted that I didn't really mind. I didn't even feel the kind of absurd two and a half hour runtime either. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, the, it, it went by with a breeze. I think that's how good Mangold is in the, in the command of the story that he has. There's a lot to like about it. I think you nailed it, though. It, it, I think I said it to you, and I was, it feels like someone who really nailed their their film school final script. Mm. You know, like they're like, hey, you mm-hmm. get an A. This is the rubric we're grading on. If you hit these nine beats in a film, then you will get it. It's like, yeah, technically it's fine. Um, and people can reverse engineer like a script out of that. And that's totally fine. If, I told you the things that came to mind were like these harmless, inoffensive, but like, I don't know, rousing for 20 seconds. Like remember the Titans or like any of these other mm. like kind of feel good stories, but elevated because man gold, like all the racing sequences were like wonderful. Even the ones at the end that were um, clearly computer generated. He still found a way to make that shit feel uh, like textured. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. where I'm like, Oh man, you're still there. You never lost sense of what's going on. Um, right. So I thought that was really great. And uh <laughs> You know, Matt Damon's doing Matt Damon stuff. That, that, uh, that accent killed me. Let me just tell you, the first 15 minutes of this movie, I was like, what is this fucking movie? Right. And I like the actual in- the intro scene where he's driving and he gets over and he catches on fire and all that shit. Mm-hmm. He drives, he passes. I thought that was wonderful. I thought that was really cool. But then he cuts to the voiceover being like, you know, it's 7,000 uh, RPM steps. Um, and I don't know, dude, it fucked with me so hard. <laughs> so much so. That at the end, after this entire journey we just went on, yeah. after after the lowest point, after we came off and and then he comes back at the end, he bookends it with another at seven thousand RPMs. Mm-hmm. I laughed so hard. Moving no. through time and space. No, it was it reminded me of Bill Paxton and in, in Twister. <laughs> like it was right. It was weird. It was just that good. Yeah. <laughs> 
I get you. Uh, you know, same way. overall, I think I think it's like you know Christian Bale does some really good work. Uh, is Tracy mm-hmm. Letts playing Henry Ford in this movie? Yeah, that that was Tracy Letts. I'm looking at him like Sans beard. He's killing it. He killed it. Yeah. I thought he was great at it. Yeah, um, no, he he brought like a weird amount of pathos to like a basically cartoon outline of a character. Um, yeah, which he plays thank Henry you for Ford, saying uh, that. The second, yeah. Because because Josh Lucas, I believe his name is. Oh, plays, yeah, there man, one. what a well-rounded villain, am I right? Jesus Christ, <laughs> dude! Like that was my issue with it, where I'm like, you know, like Let's is so good that there's no difference between Ford and and what, what what's his name? Uh, uh, Ferrari. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, Leo, Leo V Bibib, whatever his name is. Uh, but like Le- Leo so, BB. Yeah, he's so. Sm- smarmy and shit and like and let's yeah no uh, to to clarify for those of you who haven't seen it josh lucas plays this like think about like every jock asshole in the ski movie from the 80s and he's literally that character or like the the corporate asshole is going to shut down the rec center like it's that character um and he's basically the antagonist of the movie first i thought they were setting up ferrari to be the antagonist right you know, just like a bunch of like italian stereotypes which they basically were oh no um, no listen i was gonna say one of the few notes i actually wrote down was like he's like we're gonna send that what a guinea wop or greasy wop back to the stone age or something and i'm just yeah. like you know like i guess it would be anachronistic of henry ford the second son of noted jew hater henry yeah. ford wouldn't be a little teensy bit racist but at the same time i was like all right i guess if they don't address it it's anachronistic uh but no one condemned it you know what i'm saying so like right. there's just five six minutes of just straight italian stereotypes going <laughs> on and i'm like no no one no one's gonna right. call foul on this <laughs> but you know ferrari gives his a little a literal tip of the hat to uh christian bale at the end so i guess all is well italian american relations are uh, mended by the end of the film much right. like in rocky four and all we all we need. all go home happy but yeah no my, my overall thoughts there on ford v ferrari uh it's a dad movie it's been said by a hundred thousand people but it is it's true it's it's a fucking dad movie about cars um i called it sea, sea biscuit with cars and, and and it really Accurate. yeah it, <laughs> it hits all those beats um but it's got some moments of uh quiet and it's well observed enough and the racing scenes alone are worth the price of admission uh i would recommend it i would not call it the best picture of the year though uh, i want to move on to the next one unless you have any final thoughts on ford v ferrari yeah actually because i wanted to kind of do this with all of them if you didn't mind just really quick oh, sure. take a lot of time on it which is like i want to look at the other things they're uh nominated for i would say this is the old mm-hmm. older that i've gotten i think you would agree uh the little things the sound mixing the sound engineering mm-hmm. that stuff has certainly started to mean a lot more to me i've started to pay attention to the people who are doing those things a little bit more uh and so this uh film was nominated for four awards best picture obviously but also best film editing best sound editing and best sound mixing and i would mm. tell you this man uh it's not gonna win best picture but the uh, any of the other three i would say it legitimately has a chance or merit for with the exception that best editing is almost always this thing that's tied with the best film and best yeah. director so if you get outside of that uh mm. i think that you know it, it 
those race sequences like again i don't think people get this when you're making a fucking movie you're shooting everything but you're not shooting it sequentially in your mind like you know what i'm saying like no you have to have the idea that like okay today we're just shooting all the wide shots all right then tomorrow we're going to shoot it from the other angle and know in your mind when to cut like that that was a tremendous fucking job editing this picture color match colors match and everything yeah make it all seamless and and that that is something to really say is that you never really lose sight of which car you're supposed to be following, where it is in the race, where it is in relation to other cars. And given that these vehicles are traveling at 200, 220 miles per hour, uh, that, that's no small feat. Um, it's very well edited. Um, camera very kind of locked down and smooth, not all jangly, which I appreciate because that gives me a dang headache. Yeah, I just, I don't know. The amount of choreography, which is a word you'll hear me say multiple times today, I, I'm sorry in advance, uh, was really just astounding. And I think people sleep on him. Uh, Mangold really kind of had a vision and executed that. That movie in someone else's hands is a Disney PG movie, feel good. And it's not going to be terrible, but it's not going to be good. They Everyone elevated that movie, even Meth Damon. By the way, we used to call him Fat Damon, and I'm not trying to body shame anyone. I'm just saying, like, he's he's his own fat damon now like he has gotten Wait. a little big you oh, oh you're saying that matt damon has become his own fat damon yes that's exactly what i'm saying uh and now jesse plemons who's also really big as we'll talk about damon? in this next movie that we're going to talk about he's fat or damon um yeah. anyway moving on uh let, let's let's move on with it so let's jump over to uh the irishman which is martin scorsese's fucking movie based on I believe that it's called. I heard you. Movie. It's a picture. He calls it a Martin Scorsese picture based on "I Heard You Paint Houses" by uh, Charles Brandt. Uh, mm-hmm. So this movie, like, I, this is this is this is a weird one because, like, I think you would agree. Like, it's sometimes about the Oscars, most of the time about the Oscars, right? It's not even about the films. It's about the fucking narrative around the films, oh, right? Yeah. Leo took politics, baby. Well, Leo took the revenant because man, that must have been fucking. Because they've been ignoring him for too many times. Yeah. Yeah. Like I don't know if you were the one who told me this or someone else, but like Tom Hardy did the exact same performance. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like if I'm Tom Hardy and they're just like they gave it to Leo, but not me, who spent the exact same amount of time in the Arctic, like fucking around in the snow. Maybe Uh, that's why he made Venom. He was just like that was his revenge. Drunk off his ass. (laughs) It's like fine, I'll do it. But when we're talking narratives, it's like the the you know it's Martin Scorsese. It's not just Martin Scorsese. It's Martin Scorsese returning to a genre that he has made some of the most influential films. It's Marty returning to uh, reuniting with De Niro, with Pesci, working for the first time with Al Pacino, right? Yeah, like which working is with it hasn't well, happened. It's enough. it's very strange. Uh, yeah. And working with groundbreaking special effects, which normally is not martin's back so there was a lot of wild cards going into this we also knew it was gonna be a ridiculous runtime and stuff like that when it finally came out i remember i watched it that first day i was just like no we're not doing anything else because i i'm i think you still feel this i know a lot of people do but like that's a he's, he's old it's still an event like you're very lucky to still get movies from martin scorsese so when he gives us that movie you watch that shit as quickly as you can you know what i mean mm-hmm um so uh it came out it was really good uh i love it for a lot of reasons but i want to kind of get into your initial thoughts and how it's aged since then because i know you've seen things that may have recontextualized it for you right 
Yeah, I I mean, I, I very much liked it, if not loved it. I thought it was uh, melancholic and oddly touching. Um, it felt for the first time like Martin Scorsese was an old man behind the camera because there's something to be said for him compared to like his contemporaries, like Francis Ford Coppola, who's basically like a, you know, get off my lawn, senile. I don't know what the fuck that guy is doing. He's just running his vineyard. Um, but no, Scorsese has always remained vital and youthful, even into his 70s. And then he makes this thing, you know, just a few years after Wolf of Wall Street, which was like a fucking movie on cocaine and every other drug imaginable to this like kind of like muted. It almost reminded me in a weird way of like a Clint Eastwood picture in terms of the color palette and everything. Sure. Like, yeah. How everything looked almost monochromatic, even though there was obviously a color palette, but it's, it didn't. Yeah in a way yeah no i certainly agree with that man. um and and uh just especially once it gets into the final third um it, it, the color drops out even more and it just gets sort of devastating in a low-key way um yeah no it's it's a a powerful film and you can tell that it's it, it, i mean it's it's impossible to separate it from the fact that this is the last time these guys are ever going to be together unless some crazy miracle happens it's hard to separate it from the fact that these guys have such a history together you know we've watched them grow old on screen together and this is like their last ride that said i've seen so many things this year that have kind of knocked the irishman out of my like top five maybe my top 10 and i i very much still appreciate the irishman it's great but um it uh it didn't hold up in memory as much as as I, I hoped it would. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, I think it's a movie that demands to be watched again because, as you said, it doesn't have the frenetic energy. It doesn't have the kind of, like, Mar literally Marty in the 70s doing a bunch of cocaine. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. which is such a stark contrast because Wolf of Wall Street was that. Wolf of Wall Street reminded people. Wolf of Wall Street is basically that entire, like, act of uh, Henry Hill looking up for helicopters and Goodfellas, but the whole time. Yeah. The whole like, time. which was nuts. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And he did right. it over three-hour runtime. And so we thought we were going to get this, I think, fast-moving, like, bam, boom, boom, you know, kind of, like, thing with the Irishman. And I think mm -hmm. it's, like, Marty's ability to still surprise us. Like, he didn't make the movie we expected. I, I, I think that a lot of people, even based on the trailer, the trailer was really good, but it, I think it sort of indicated there would be a little bit more action than there was. There would be a little bit forward, more right. propulsiveness in the plot. And it's not about that. It's, it's really this amazing kind of stark, slow fucking burn, obviously, for the runtime, but it's important. Like, you need that time to see these people in different eras and different light. Uh, to that end, I want to say that, like, you know, the technology, it ain't, it ain't quite, quite there, but it didn't distract me. Like, after 10, 15 minutes, I was like, all right, it's fine. Whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and then once you lock in, I think everyone's doing great. De Niro doing uh, legitimately some of the most subtle, wonderful things he's ever done. Uh, I understand why he didn't get the nomination. Totally. Well, it's it's more of a thankless role, even though it's the lead role, because he's right. playing a taciturn man who doesn't really give anything away and doesn't know really how to feel um, in the way that normal people do. He's stuffed all that down. Um, so it is muted, but like there's pain in his eyes, man. Well, there's just pain in this man from the beginning. All he ever wanted yeah. was someone to give him direction. He sees no indistinguishable difference between he's, he's the military and the mafia. Yeah. Like, so I, I think that, but again, true to his nature, like a brick in a fire, he is 
so stoic and so reserved throughout the entire film. He doesn't really break, even as his body's breaking down, his will, he doesn't like collapse yeah. into tears or any of that shit. It's a really sad kind of melancholic thing. He's doing wonderful. Pacino, like, here's the thing. I want to rewatch it because I liked Pacino way more than I have in, I don't know, 20 something years, 25 mm-hmm. years or something. But of the performances, it's like Pesci comes in at number one. And then I think De Niro did more heavy lifting, with the exception of everything in the last third, because we know something that the character doesn't know. And those last 30 minutes, he. He's like a fucking okay. So maybe I'm taking it back because I'm about to tear up. Sorry. Uh, he he is like he's like a child in those last few moments, and, and yeah, and you're, it's so fucking beautiful to see that kind of tenderness from him because in our lifetimes, I think a lot of his roles have been uh, personified by he's screaming. You know, like that's been our Al Pacino for better or for worse, dude. Like, Son of a Woman's the first thing I remember, you know what I mean, as a kid. Yeah. Culminating uh, with the, the 2011 <laughs> classic Jack and Jill. I know that this is where it always goes. This is, this is your fucking bed. <laughs> always goes back to Jack and Jill with you. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like, he's always. Just I'll, never, I'll never forgive him for taking that role, but I almost respect it. <laughs> like, at what point? Like, it's like, what, what mountain is there left to climb for Pacino? Right. Walken did it. Everyone loved every zany choice he made, but Pacino does it. What's There's a backlash. Dunkachino. I got a whole new game. Dunkachino. Um, <laughs> but no, he was he was a he was a goddamn revelation as Jimmy Hoffa because I didn't know a lot about Jimmy Hoffa, and he made sure. him such an engaging, uh, fun character to watch, and it, it served as such a contrast between like all the muted shit that Pesci and De Niro were doing. Um, as this loud, bombastic guy that doesn't know when to fucking rein it in, um, it was, it, yeah, it was, it was uh, really, really fun to watch him until it wasn't. Um, but yeah, that's all my thoughts on uh, on, <laughs> on the old Irishman, uh, on the old Pacino, um, cool. Pesci giving possibly career best work as Russell Buffalino for the uh, maybe opposite reasons that I've never seen him do anything like this before. I've never seen him rein it in this much, you know, communicate so much without really giving much away or doing anything. Um, it's such a special performance because it might be his last one too. Dude doesn't yeah, really. Like and I think right that's now. the subtext of it is that it's, it's, it's like when Johnny Cash did that fucking nine inch nails hurt song, right at the finish yeah. line. And the video is him trembling. And I remember we watched that together or something. We were like, well, we're fucked for the day. <laughs> like let's try yeah. to put anything funny on. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I don't, overall, I really, really liked it. Uh, I thought it was solid. It's not my favorite film. I do want to talk about its nominations really quick if we can, cause it was nominated for many. And I just want to kind of ask you where you think it stands, uh, if it's going to win any awards. Cause that's the thing nominated for 10, but I don't think it's a front runner in any of them. And it might be the most nominated film not to win anything. Uh, so best picture, best director, best supporting actor for Pacino and Pesci, uh, best adapted screenplay, best production design. I mean, it might win something like that. Best cinematography. Can't imagine. Best costume design. Maybe. Uh, film editing, best visual effects. So maybe visual effects will try to give it to you. Although I feel like I could see adapted screenplay also. You know, like throw it a bone and maybe director if they really want to get nostalgic with it. But I, I can't really say for sure. And that, well, that's what I'm saying. I don't think there's a front runner on any of this. Let me tell you this really quickly. Mid-show report that this morning there was a leak. Uh, the Academy posted some fucking Oh, they thing. said something about how Parasite was going to win, right? Well, yeah, they, was, they had a couple. 
They had a couple. Yeah, like Parasite would win Best Picture, but Mendes would win Best Director. Uh, and that Parasite would win Best Original Screenplay, but that Adapted Screenplay. Uh, shit, what was it? Fuck, was it JoJo? Fuck, I got to remember now. But anyway, the point is, like, there's a rumor that that's what's going out right now. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just I, I look at the, the nominations and I'm like, I don't know, Irishman. I ain't, I ain't feeling it. I ain't feeling you ain't it. Feel, you ain't feeling it. Yeah, I, I mean, it might get uh, it might get shut out this year. Who's to say? I think other things have more buzz. You know, there are sexier picks on this list, as it were. Um, and again, well, like I would I would not be mad if it won, and I wouldn't be mad if it lost either. It's it, like I'm in a very neutral position this year, which probably doesn't make for a great Oscar uh, podcast. But um, like there, there's really only two movies on this list where I would be like, "Fucking come on!" If they won. Uh, and, and I we'll think, that. and that's mostly great. Yeah, let's move, let's move on uh, if you don't mind uh, to uh, Taika Waititi, uh, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo yeah. Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Okay, so a movie I tried to describe to my mom, uh, and I could hear over the phone across thousands of miles uh-huh. her interest dropping as I spoke, which is kind of amazing. Uh, <laughs> like but, did but, your interest peak with the title? Like, oh, that's a fun title. And oh yeah, yo yo. Yeah, because she can't pronounce her fucking J's <laughs> to save her life. But like, um, <laughs> but uh, but okay. So so Jojo Rabbit, right? Taika Waititi does a satirical kind of Nazi Germany uh, look and. and story is just about a kid who is uh hardcore in the hitler youth right he's gonna be the best nazi he's super into fascism and shit uh only to find out that his free spirit mother is hiding a jewish girl really fucks with his his moral compass so to speak Uh, i want to i want to ask you a couple things we should also add that throughout the film uh he sees hitler as his imaginary friend oh, played did by I miss that little detail. <laughs> did miss that little nugget uh, played by the director Taika Waititi. Um, okay, yeah. l- l- well let's start. Let's start here. One, I yeah. thought it was like when this first came out, I was like, "There's no way they're going to nominate this movie." So the fact right. that it was embraced as much could be seen as a good thing. But I'm curious to kind of hear how you feel about this. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the movie. I want to be clear. I did enjoy the movie. Watching the movie, I, I enjoyed it so much because I thought it was like everything that you would want out of these fucking like Oscar fucking movies. You know what I'm saying? Like they mm. gotta hit these emotional beats, but they did it in such a uncompromisingly uh, Taika way. So I mm. enjoyed that they were able to kind of game the system and do it at the same time because it is fucking weird. Uh, at the same time, I got a couple problems. Got a couple yeah. problems. Got a problem with Nazi portrayal for one. Uh, and and here and, and let's be real. I want to say that Sam Rockwell. I mean, just the gift that keeps giving. Like it's not his <laughs> fault. It's not his fucking fault that he, good Nazi. Yeah, I just like you know. It's like that's a bad trope that we really need to get away from. It doesn't matter how good of a Nazi he is in the individual moment of not killing a small child. Uh, but you know, like you, I don't. And, know. and did they? And did I misread this? But did they also make him like possibly like a gay Nazi too? Like was that his whole thing? 
like him and Dion Greyjoy. And Alfie, yeah, it looked yeah, like it. They, they, they share a little moment, and then he is seen in the last battle scene, you know, dressed up flamboyantly with eye makeup and everything. And then well, the because he had drawn it. it. It was his he had. Yeah, he was, was looking amazing. fabulous, man. Yeah, God, so good. He was a fucking designer. He might have been, who'd you say? It's, uh, who, wait, who did the it's Nazi easy. thing? We talked about this, uh, and it blew our minds. Who designed the Nazi uniforms? Oh, Hugo Boss designed <laughs> the Nazi uniform. Boss. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's incredible. Like, personally yeah. yeah it was him he flew in he, t- <laughs> no, he literally did it's not it'll be in the good. jojo rabbit sequel certainly but uh <laughs> i don't know it's hard to explain Can't because the movie that nugget the movie made me feel things i'm not gonna lie like it's not like it didn't do its job it's just that i came away from it feeling certain things it was the kind of movie that i would show my mom as a way to like but no, really think about what you're seeing, mom. You know, because like, like the, like this. No, I'm not trying to be a shithead. What I'm saying is like, you know, there's, there's two ways to watch movies. You watch it, and you can just entertain it, and not think about it. But like anything, if you just think a little bit more about why they chose to show it to you that way, right? So yeah. I would, I would show this movie and be like, hey, from the beginning, like I, I swear to God, I called like the Scarlett Johansson ending of this, like in the first mm-hmm. 15 minutes of the movie, the first time they showed us so prominently her dancing in that framing uh yeah. because they did the scene before it is the people hanging i'm sorry to spoil mm-hmm. this movie people but uh it was one of those things where i'd like oh i really liked it i thought it did a good job uh nazi betrayal is a little weird tonally it's a little all over the place uh it got darker than i thought it was going to considering mm. you know what do you feel about this movie i'm sorry i'm in monologue uh- I mean, I thought it was serviceable, um, sometimes cheap, sometimes confounding. Uh, I still didn't hate it as much as I expected to. I wasn't offended by it in in any discernible way. But I'm kind of uh, confused by the inclusion of the uh, invisible friend Adolf because it really doesn't fit in with the rest of the story at all. And like when you call it a satire, I've got to pose this question back to you. What is it satirizing? Because I've heard other people like described it as a satire. So I was going into it expecting like that it would take the story in maybe a darker, more Dr. Strange lovey in direction where like maybe the kid just stays full Nazi the whole time. But like this movie takes the concept of him not really truly being a Nazi very seriously and ends on that note. Um, he helps a little Jewish girl at the end or whatever, and they're friends. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to throw that back to you. Like what, what is it satirizing? It's not really satirizing anything. This is what I told you when I first talked to you about it. I'm like, uh, yeah, it's good, but, but, uh, it's problematic because it wants you to think it's taking this big risk or having something bold to say in a really weird way. And this just shows you how much a better director can make things at least watchable. It's very comparable to Joker this year where it mm. pretends to have this like grand thing it's trying to say. But if you're like looking at it, it's not really taking any big chance. It's not really satirizing anything. It's a, it's a way to like, if you want to say, oh, I'm satirizing Hitler by making fun of him. Well, making fun isn't satirizing something. Yeah. Satire is like the purpose is to, 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 to contrast something, to point something out. And he didn't really point anything out that we didn't already know as like regular fucking people. The Holocaust was bad. Jews are people. <laughs> <laughs> like they're not like, I don't know. I mean, again, it was a quirky little fun thing. Like, and I, and I understand yeah. the idea of trying to, uh, to take 
to take trauma and pain and to, when you're a young person, misplace that energy into anything. Like he doesn't have a dad. So it doesn't surprise me that the strong man in Germany, like would, would attract that kind of attention from him. You know, like mm-hmm. I get the psychology of Jojo. I don't get sure. the execution of Jojo. <laughs> I think that's the problem. Right. Yeah, no, I I would agree. I mean, like, again, like, there's not a whole lot to dive into with this. Like, I would say that at times it it, kind of veered into a dangerous, like, Wes Anderson territory. Yeah, totally. Like, aping the style of Wes Anderson. Um, Like, there's some straight up shots in this that are, like, almost ripped direct from Moonrise Kingdom. Um, and I'm like, you know, Taika has enough of a, a, a unique voice that he doesn't need to do that. So I was a little bit confused by that as well. Um, overall, like, uh, if I had any other beefs with it, it would be that, you know, some of the actors decided to do German accents and some just stayed British. Um, I know that's a thing for you. That really gets you. That, well, you know, I mean, pick uh, one, not both. classically enemy at the gates, which is about Russian and German snipers. Only yeah. Bob Hoskins and Ed Harris showed up to work that day and decided to do <laughs> actual accents. The rest of the actors just stay British. Um, and it, it happened here too, where it's like, just pick one or the other, either all stay British, like in death of Stalin, which is great. And if you haven't seen it, check it out. And that's a fucking satire death of Stalin. Um, and it right. manages to be a satire by presenting the facts, uh, in sequence as they happened um but yeah this was just sort of toothless and honestly wasn't dark enough for me right for for a subject as serious as this yeah it was touching but it didn't really hit the notes that it needed to hit or make the impact that it needed to make for me to say that it justified existing i I just think it was a weird manipulative thing like listen here's the truth about me if you throw david bowie's heroes on Mm -hmm. at the end of any movie i'm probably gonna emotionally respond to it you know what i'm saying like but 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 like i i your mother was killed like you're still kind of an orphan here man and you're like Mm -hmm. oh that we're liberated what's the first thing we do we dance like I guess that's cute because you set it up in the first act, but that's not cute to the yeah, reality of It would be cuter if his mom like, hadn't died two yeah, days earlier. Like, she's not seeing this kid, you piece of shit. You should never dance ever again. <laughs> I don't know. Let's not, stay, let's, not, let's not take forever on it, but let me just very quickly. Best picture, best supporting actor, best adapted screenplay, uh, best production design, best costume design, best film editing. Film editing, no. I, any of the other ones. I, I just want to talk about the, the big three. Best adapted screenplay is real momentum for it. Uh, which is kind of strange because I thought the Irishman might get that, if nothing else. It's not going to win any of these other ones. Yeah, I mean, I, I sincerely hope that it doesn't get that for the aforementioned reasons that we just spent, you know, five or however many minutes uh, discussing. Um, but yeah, it, it very well might win that because it, it seems like the kind of movie that, okay, if we're not going to give it best picture, let's give it best screenplay. It's quirky, right. made you feel stuff, made you feel good about the Holocaust, you know? You get a blue ribbon. Um, I would say that Scarlett Johansson, uh, two for two this year, did an excellent job. And I wouldn't be mad if she won. Um, I haven't seen uh, all of these performances. I've only seen three out of the five. My personal pick might be Florence Pugh, but Scarlett Johansson, I would not be upset about remotely. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think Scarlett really killed it. Uh, and, and also having seen Marriage Story, uh, yeah, man. Like, what a wonderful year. And she gets a lot of shit a lot, but she's been churning out really yeah. great we, performances. We all forget how fucking good she is, though. 
Yeah, man. Uh, it is, it's pretty outstanding. Uh, all right. Well, Jojo, I mean, you good. You I, but no, nah, not really. Let's move on to the one that's going to draw most of my ire. Joker. Joker. All right. Joker. Joker. I don't even know what there's to say about this that we haven't already said, but Best let's just kind of get into decade, it. Am I right? Shut your, shut your whore, <laughs> Uh, to end the 2010s on this, like if that won, that would be like Slumdog and Crash together to me for some reason. Yeah, Joker, I have I have some beef with. Um, it, mm. there's a lot of issues with it, but I think the biggest one, and let me bring up Mangold now, is that when Mangold did Logan a couple of years ago, it was like, oh my god, I got a best adapted screenplay thing, and the geek culture settled and said, see, we're recognized now, right? Mm. Uh, As if they movie, don't get enough bones thrown at them, by the way. The world exists for you at this point. Yeah, you fucking cunts. Uh, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, so my, it's one of those things where you're looking at it in, in, in every conceivable way on a filmmaking level. Not to say there weren't things I didn't like about the movie Joker, but I look at Logan as a far bigger achievement. And I think it's a more interesting love. movie, a better shot movie, a more conceptual movie, more of an auteur picture. It has something to say. Um. Without Where, like, as I said earlier, Joker doesn't really have anything to fucking say. I mean, like, the narrative around this, and this is the sad thing about this particular movie and this race. Actually, all the acting races, sadly, seem very prescripted, and there's not going to be any shakeups now. But, like, Joker got all these rave reviews because Joaquin Phoenix said he was going to do the Joker. And you and I were like, hey, man, Joaquin Phoenix is great. Let's see what it happens. immediately legitimizes it, yeah. Um, uh, and so we get to it, and, and even when it was Todd Phillips, we were like, well, I don't know, man, maybe Joaquin. Like, we just kept trying to find reasons well, to be excited. I, I kept it. thinking, like, okay, Todd Phillips hasn't really ever made a comedy that's funny, so maybe he'll do better with dramas, you know? Because <laughs> all of his fucking comedies look like Saw movies. Like, they're like the color palette's all high contrast and gritty and grimy, and I was like, okay, that might work. And he does bring some of that to Joker in a good way. Like we, we talked about it. We did a review um, on our previous show, Movies and Shit. And I have some good things to say about Joker. Uh, the thing with Joker is that I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't think it's a good movie. It is a right down the middle movie. It's a movie that I've seen before. I've seen it done better, seen it done worse. Um, and the fact that it's making these waves and making this impact makes me hate it more than I actually do. And the more movies that I see this year, the more I'm like, this doesn't even belong in the same conversation as a lot of these really great fucking movies. Cause there are some great fucking movies this year. And the fact that we're giving it to Joker, the fact that Todd Phillips is getting a best director nomination, which we'll get into is like a little bit baffling to me. So if this movie were to win, I'm not saying it would be green book levels of like outrage on my end, but I would be like, okay, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, I, I'd be pretty mad at it, Max. I got to tell you, uh, because yeah. I, even though there are these individual things that I think are wonderful, I do think the cinematography for the most part is pretty lit i think the score yeah, is the score wonderful is that's the uh, one award i would not be upset if it won right you know? uh, the, it's just one of those things where i think you kind of hit the nail on the head um the way it's been embraced or rejected both sides of that argument have mm -hmm. heightened it to a level where i just hate it more like i resent it in a way um, right 
people did good jobs on that movie. It look it looks like a movie looks like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think we have to really kind of recontextualize when people have vitriol for art. It's like people work really hard on shit. However, my personal preference is like, I did not really enjoy that movie. Again, yeah. having seen Marriage Story, it is preposterous to me that Adam Driver is going to lose to Joaquin Phoenix in this uh, because it's the narrative as we said earlier yeah. oh like Joaquin look at the transformation and like it's the same thing with fucking like if you transform your body or you play a real person the academy eats that shit up best right. actress like again uh, I think Scarlett Johansson legitimately I haven't seen all the nominations I don't want to like make a sweeping declaration but I look at that being like I don't see her being you know, how does she not fucking win that? Oh, because Renee Zellweger plays Judy Garland and that's yeah. glamorous. And so I think that this is one of those examples where like, look, the movie's fine. You're right. It's probably like a C, C plus. Like there's nothing wrong with the movie. It's very serviceable and it's well-made. Uh, it just has nothing to say. It has a performance that I think has been overhyped. I think that it's a one note. Yeah, and the more the more distance I get from it, the more I'm like, that's probably one of my least favorite Joaquin Phoenix performances. It feels so one note and pitched to volume level. Like the volume level on that performance just continues going, creeping up throughout the entire movie until it's just at a uh, full blast. But the performance never really evolves. It's pretty static in a weird way. For a movie about a transformation, he doesn't really transform. Yeah, it's it's it for me it was one of the biggest disappointments because initially that was one of those like, man, if they do this right, you know, like mm-hmm. DiCaprio was being courted, Martin Scorsese was on the producers list, and right. it was a movie that just came out and felt so uh, I one derivative but just kind of uninspired man it like doesn't mean it's not well made it just means it did it, i felt nothing about it and then that was the thing about watching these movies in a crunch this last like couple weeks yeah. was oh you're supposed to feel something when you watch movies and i just felt mm-hmm. nothing uh not yeah. a good sign uh it was nominated for a shit ton of awards obviously um you yeah, know best director which makes no fucking sense yeah. Uh, is that the biggest egregious one here? Like, Joaquin did fine work. Sure, he gets a nomination. He's Joaquin Phoenix. But uh, best director for Todd Phillips. Uh, <laughs> tragedy? Yeah, I mean, travesty? What's up? In a year where, like, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and The Lighthouse and The Nightingale and Waves I just watched, Last Black Man in San Francisco, I'm literally leading, reading off of my top list right now. Um, fucking I to save all of that. Lake, I would even say. Yeah, we, we can save it. But like in a year when those movies are coming out um, or movies about like a profound human experience, movies that fucking make you feel something, because that's really like my metric for uh, a great movie is a movie that makes me forget that I'm watching a movie. And Joker made me painfully aware that I was watching a movie the entire time. So, yeah, I would say that that was uh, the most egregious one as director because he brought the least to the table. Uh, I think the one good news is that I don't see it as even a second place contender at the moment. Uh, you know, from what everything yeah. I'm seeing and the, the cultural thing, I'm, I, which is good because if it won, that would be rough for me, as I said. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's move on from Joker here. Cause we've already done an entire like hour long review on this thing. Um, well, move you, on man. to, to little women. Little which, babies. Yeah, they were true. Listen, I, and again, I, I see this tomorrow, so I'm sorry. I'm going to have to completely defer to you. But I, look, I really loved Lady Bird in a way I was not expecting to. I think Greta obviously has some great talent behind mm-hmm. the camera, and the cast is incredible. 
so what did you think of the movie? It's like, you're right. You can't spoil it. They've only made it into fucking a billion movies throughout the years and TV shows and shit. Yeah. And I've seen none of them and I've never read the source material. So I was going into this as fresh as possible. Um, but I've read since then uh, what Gerwig has done to kind of make, put her own stamp on it. Um, my, my overall thoughts on Little Women was that it was surprisingly engaging, warm, heartfelt, well-observed, well-acted, um, and just kind of gave you a warm feeling throughout, uh, in much in the same way that Lady Bird did. I still prefer Lady Bird. Like, Lady Bird is one of my favorite films of the fucking decade uh, for all of the reasons that I just said. Um, but Little Women uh, shows Gerwig like really kind of playing around with things like color temperature because what she does in this movie, and I learned that it does not happen this way in the book, is she kind of intercuts between two different periods in time. Right. Um, and what's sort of remarkable about it is after the first time it happens, she does not tell you when she's cutting back and forth. You're relying on things like how the actors are delivering their lines, how the color is outside, the color temperature of the movie to figure out and the film is trusting you to figure out, uh, okay, now we're in the future or the present. Now we're in the past. Now we're in the present. Now we're in the past. And it's about like those intersecting stories and tragedies and growing up and becoming little women. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry for that. Uh, but no, I, I, I genuinely recommend it. I don't know why I was surprised by it after lady bird. Um, it's, a wonderful second film and if it won i think that it would be uh yeah i think that would be pretty great honestly like i would not be upset about it uh highly recommend little women if you're at all put off by the idea that it's a period piece about you know a bunch of girls uh just doing girl stuff or whatever oh, like please facts. do not Come on. Max, what? women aren't people. Like we can't relate to them, you know. So why would we watch a whole movie? Oh man, I didn't. Based on their experiences, I don't know how to. I don't know how to argue. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I, no, I, it's so dumb. It's so dumb that anyone would not watch something well, because the leads don't look like them. That's just so weird it, to me. Well, so. because I, I've seen so many people say the same about Lady Bird that they never watched it, probably for the same reasons. And and it's a it's a damn shame. It's an engaging story about what it means to be a person and to grow up and to compromise. And as much as it is a period piece and it never feels anachronistic, one of the other remarkable things about it is that it feels contemporary. Like it's there's an immediate access point to what these these girls are going through. Um, but it never betrays the fact that it takes place in the eighteen hundreds. So yeah, check out Little Women. Greta Gerwig, I'm rooting for you always, unless you start making terrible Todd Phillips level movies. Uh, yeah. Uh, how, did not get nominated. I totally agree. That's the biggest robbery. Uh, moving on, because it's Greta related, sort of. Mm. Um, yeah. Marriage Story, man. Holy shit. Holy shit, Marriage Story. Yeah, I've seen it a Three times now. And I didn't want to tell you my reaction on any of these last movies that I saw because I just wanted to like save it for this uh, possible. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just, yeah, like, I wonder how that plays out. Like your, your partner is also nominated for best picture. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. that, like Noah and Greta are like kind of adorable. And I, and I told you like, I really loved Greenberg and that's like where she really kind of 
got big on my map was that movie yeah. and that's where they apparently started dating i didn't know it was during that movie i thought it was afterwards mm-hmm. i also like thought oh he's probably basing a lot of this on his divorce with jennifer jason lay but i didn't know right. that until i watched it and then read the fucking story behind it uh this is a brutal fucking movie and yet at the same time um i was very optimistic and happy yeah. like in a way i was not the devastating movie i was expecting it to be it was yeah and that's really happy. well because you were you were putting off watching this for yeah. a while i think for that reason and i was trying to urge you to watch it because within the first like i would say five minutes i was sold on this movie and it's it's well, got it's a this wonderful opening yeah yeah, it's a wonderful opening, and it's also got this wonderful Randy Newman score that's honestly one of my favorite scores of the fucking year that like hits all the right notes of melancholy without being too sad and joy without being too happy. Like It just finds that perfect balance where it's a little bit of everything. Um, it sounds like the score to a, a love story, and that's what this is. That's what he's described it as. It's a love story about a divorce. Uh, yeah, I wanted to say a couple things. What I really loved about this movie, uh, and the score absolutely helps because on the surface it feels like, oh, this is like a Woody Allen kind of thing, right? Yeah. But I think Noah Baumbach, man, and it's taken a long time and he's carved it by degrees and mm-hmm. uh, like fucking, you know, chiseling at, it's going to take two, three years, whatever. Uh, it took him a long time, but he's carved out this aesthetic that when I see his New York or his LA, but his films in general, like in the same yeah. way that we used to say, oh, that's a Woody Allen film. You can see it aesthetically. You could feel it. Oh, that's Woody Allen's New York. Like, I feel like Noah Baumbach has, has that visual stamp on it, uh, mm-hmm. where it is slightly altered. I thought that was like incredible. Um, yeah, I, I just, what you said at the end too, about the, uh, it's a love story. It's like, what I think is phenomenal about that is that movie begins with this really beautiful framing device, which I'm sure is just like an amazing way he started writing like i can't even imagine right. he started as a script from that standpoint i think he probably as a writing exercise like try to write those individual letters right mm-hmm. but it starts with them um, you know this couple who are in therapy and they're they've been instructed to write a letter about everything they love about the other person so the beginning starts with voiceover and then all these images like a montage of all the things that they love right uh so it's a really beautiful starting point and it makes yeah. you feel so warm and like oh this couple is so beautiful and there is so much love here because yeah. how could you possibly write that much if there wasn't love still? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I thought that was this uh, wonderfully beautiful thing. And then you bookend it at the very, very end. And it's like it kind of took a divorce mm-hmm. for them to really fully love each other in a way that was healthy. But yeah. it kind of the, the, the cost they of that was the relationship. Yeah. Like, well, well, because from those opening moments, you see each of their letters and then there's a gut punch um, when you realize that they are in therapy. You don't realize that when the movie starts and that Scarlett Johansson can't read her letters. She can't sit there and list out all the reasons that she loves Adam Driver. She can't even stomach the idea of it. And mm-hmm. the rest of the movie is about selling you on why that is. And it really does a great job on selling you why that is, why these two seemingly functional people who have given each other great care and attention can no longer be together, why that just can't work. Um, And the cost of that and the minutia, like the horrible minutia of divorce, which I've never personally obviously gone through divorce, especially with a kid, but holy shit, this movie makes it look like a fucking nightmare. 
Yeah, it was rough. Uh, as a as a child of divorce early on, you're also a child of divorce, but the, yeah. your parents stuck it out. So, yeah, you know, well, they weren't fighting for custody, so that's certainly, right. Yeah. <laughs> that's a distinction. It'd be weird if they were at, at your age. At, at age eighteen. <laughs> no, uh, but it was definitely like there were rough, true to life things. Um, I've heard people who have gone through divorce been like that movie was painfully accurate in a way mm-hmm. that wasn't okay. There were multiple moments from both actors where I was blown away by them yeah uh scarlet just i i was trying to i was telling this to loris i'm like i don't know that's like it's a career best maybe for me and she's done a lot mm-hmm. of great work but i saw something here that i hadn't seen from her i think it's because she's been acting for so long and she was so young when she started like as we start to see them go into these these next yeah. phases you 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 know and you they're human in a, in a different way you know what i mean mm-hmm. like you're so I was, I was so emotionally attached to it, the scene where she's first meeting with Laura Dern, which, by the way, uh, Scarlett Johansson monologues throughout that whole scene. Yeah. And it's incredible. And Laura Dern still steals that scene by just doing weird, like, the shoe thing, like, getting on the couch right. differently, a well-timed, like, like being mm-hmm. warm and seeming genuinely authentic. Like, at no point was she this viper or this snake when she was right. talking to her client, it wasn't a transactional thing. Sort of like Al- Alan Alda's character kind of like said, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was just like, it was this powerhouse for me. Uh, and you personally know, cause we were kids when this movie came out, but the squid and the whale is like such a beautiful, oh, wonderful yeah. movie to me specifically. And obviously to you, but it's like one of my personal favorites ever. And I was like, uh, this guy will never make a movie that comes close to those emotional highs. And I've honestly 100% believe marriage story gets damn near close if not exceeds it on multiple cases and i i think i loved that movie every and still do uh, as much as you do um maybe a little less in hindsight now that i've seen marriage story because i think the marriage story is sort of a culmination not even a culmination i think it's such a wonderful progression of this guy's talents like she's just so confident in how he develops that story how he structures it how he parses it out um how he shoots like it's a beautiful looking movie in in very hidden ways you know the camera is constantly hidden but so many things uh so many like hidden long takes in this movie where it's just actors monologuing where it almost feels like you're watching like a two-hander like a play or something right um yeah no uh fucking wonderful movie um if you are in any way holding off on seeing it because you think it's going to be just like miserable to watch i promise you it's not I mean, there are parts that are hard to take. There's that fight scene. Right, I was going to yeah. say, so the the apartment fight scene, I think, is the highlight of acting on any movie, TV show, miniseries, mm-hmm. podcast, uh, alien broadcast, <laughs> like whatever it could be. I don't know, be. our podcast came <laughs> close, bro. It was close, Malibu Homicide. Uh, yeah. No, but but it's it's um, that scene was this beautiful thing where you understand. I, I think the thing I did a, a really great job of, and I think like especially male directors i think noah's always been sensitive to this but it's great to see him i think greta has obviously like made him evolve as a human being as well but how much attention he's paying to making sure that the the emotional logic still tracks for Mm -hmm. both sides yeah well i was gonna ask you about this because your mom saw this movie and she said that she sided with driver and on a surface level i think it's easy to do that because the movie is mostly from his perspective you're following the ups and downs and it seems like nicole played by scarlett johansson is kind of the aggressor she's hired this like you know pit bull of a lawyer and it's fucking destroying his life and everything 
But then as the movie goes on, you get more information and that fight scene happens and you start to see him in a different way too. And on second watch, I saw it totally differently. I just wanted to ask you, like, how, where did you end up um, on the Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson? Uh, not that um, there were keeping score here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really stop. It's easy to be like you threw the first stone or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think the hiring of the lawyer thing obviously is an escalation. The entire movie is a reaction. The entire movie is about what you stop communicating, which they right. had done so long ago. And and, well, and, and it's also on her end, not to interrupt you, but she talks about how she lost her voice at some point in their marriage, and now she's hired one. Right. And that's why she's kind of stepped back a little bit and allowed this to happen. Yeah, I, I think I think that it, it's one of those, and I think it's so well done. It's like at no point, even when horrible things are happening, like you can tell they like each other and you can yeah. tell they love each other. Love mm-hmm. is not the problem in that relationship. Like both yeah. love their kid, both are responsible parents. Like it just it comes down to this thing. Like they had stopped communicating, mm-hmm. uh, and at that point, like they could even communicate through the divorce process, which made it so much worse than it had to be. You yeah. know. Uh, but then I would say this: like, so it seems like she's the bad person, quote unquote. Adam Driver ain't perfect in that, and beyond that, uh, that apartment scene is very rough because i understand everyone everyone is yelling and i'm like i agree but right you know like (laughs) screaming at the mother of your children and like i hope you fucking die like right but like there there are so many subtle moments of acting where i'm like holy shit that's why he wins Mm -hmm. uh and like that scene has it of course there's like this bombastic thing in the middle of that saying this horrific thing immediately cognitively has to refrain it uh and and say like if if i knew that henry would be okay you know what i mean like yes Mm -hmm. like he is so sweet and considerate still at every turn he doesn't want to do the dirty nasty thing not accepting the reality of his situation because he wants to be nice and amicable and shit like that you know what i mean but uh ultimately it's like you get it i think there's a moment where he totally admits to being like a selfish fucking guy too like he's Mm -hmm. like and so like and right. that makes it hard because it's like if you had self-reflected and you knew this already, like you knew during. Well, probably, yeah, he, he blames her for the fact that they even got married and that he couldn't fuck around in his 20s. Right. He's like, I was in my 20s. And it's like at that point, like on second watch especially, I was like, I'm, I'm not casting aspersions against either of them. Nobody's perfect. They're just human. They're undeniably human. But he was not like winning any points there on that second viewing. Um, Here's the sad. Here's the sad thing is that uh, apparently this is not. This doesn't have a chance to win original screenplay, and it's the one that I would totally give original screenplay to. Uh, yeah, it's a little sad for me, man. Well, I, you know, and I wouldn't be upset about. We'll we'll talk about these other movies, I guess. Um, but I would not be upset about Knives Out, which did not get a like. I think that would be a fun win, you know. Yeah, you wouldn't be mad if it won, is what you're saying. Yeah, like obviously, yeah, 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 sure, better script for sure. But if if Knives Out fucking won or Parasite won, like, well, that's the yeah. thing. So on that leaked thing, Parasite wins. Oh, which would okay. be nuts, and I'd be happy that they recognized it twice because I was just like, right. look, don't just see the best foreign picture. In English, yeah, you know. So, <laughs> uh, all right, man. Well, I, I, let's finish Marriage Story up. But just saying that for me personally, tragedy that uh, Adam Driver is probably not going to win this. 
think that's really sad because he does amazing work. Well, as oh yeah, because Joaquin is the favorite or something. Yeah, Scarlett no, uh, I, I, Adam Driver should absolutely win. Um, Scarlett Johansson won't win because fucking Judy Garland. So like both of those. Laura Dern is apparently a lock for best supporting and good for her. She does really wonderful work in the movie. Uh, but it's still like a sad thing that those two won't win. Um, and best original screenplay. Scar- Scarlet might Scarlet might win. I mean, does Renee Zellweger really have that much buzz for Judy Garland? She's won every other award, dude. Has she? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sad. Okay. I mean, I haven't seen it. Maybe she's a fucking amazing performance. Some playing <laughs> people. Matter. I'm mad about it. Doesn't matter how she. All right, she. listen, man. I got <laughs> making my my wife's making supper. Let's uh, let's get through. I was being a bad Jim Brockmeyer. Sorry. Um, mm. let's get through these last three. Let's say which I think we're gonna have some good conversations about, man. Uh, let's start with 1917. Yeah. 1917, I fresh off the the watch too. I watched that mm-hmm. last night, and I watched it in theaters. And I have uh, talked about it with multiple people. Multiple people have a lot of hot takes. Uh, you among them, and you text me being like, you know, I got to tell you, like, sure, it's a technical feat, but I didn't really feel anything. And I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, do you want to describe your reaction to it before I go into mine? No, let's hear yours first. Uh, I I set you up. You really want to bat it right back in my face immediately. Yeah, because uh, I'm I'm starting at a disadvantage here. You know my thoughts. I want to hear yours. Yeah, I I think this is an example of when uh, I know how you watched this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's important because uh, I will tell you that watching this movie in theaters is a, it's a different fucking movie. Um, and the only reason that I know I'm saying this because it's like, well, how would I be able to tell, right? Uh, is because you referenced Deacon's work. You mm-hmm. said this was like middle tier Deacons. He's done better things, and I'm sure he has. Uh, there, are, there are still moments in this fucking movie though <laughs> that are not the ones that you necessarily would expect. By the way, that are so beautiful, and I think really benefited from the idea that I was able to be in this claustrophobic environment with this surround sound blaring at me and shit like that you know what i mean so i came away from it expecting it to be not good and ended up really liking the movie uh thought it was like this really well-made fucking movie uh in terms of what it's trying to accomplish uh Mm -hmm. the idea that people are saying it's dunkirk 2.0 i would say is sort of accurate in as much that it is this technical feat now i think nolan is telling this really complicated story that has so many spinning plates and is, mm-hmm. is deft command of being able to drop in on this narrative and this narrative at this time. Incredible feat. At the same time, being able to sustain something that more or less is in real time has mm-hmm. to be engaging and has to be exciting with the exception of a break when one of the characters loses consciousness, right? The entire first 40, 50 minutes is like in real time. And then pretty much the last 40, 50 minutes is also in real time, right? Yeah. So I think it's like you have to do like, that's like, you can't just have people walking around. That was another thing you said. Other than two scenes, it's essentially just two dudes walking around. And I was like, interesting. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. So, well, then it's one guy walking around. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Well, listen, that, that in, in and of itself, I thought was interesting because it's not the movie. I thought, I thought the movie was going to yeah. be about this, this kid. There's other, right. this little chubby fucker. You know what I okay. mean? Uh, uh, Tommen from Game of Thrones. Right. Wait, is that Tommen? Oh yeah, my god, he Tommen. got big, bro. Nice. Yeah. He got swole. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, he, he did a really good job. Both of them did a really good job. Like, here's the thing. It's like, 
I, I really like this movie because especially because of its like real time nature, not the one shot bullshit, but the real time nature, because they can't give you these flashbacks that are going to expand the characters and give them bigger depths. You have to do it in these incredibly small moments, these individual moments of quiet. So, mm-hmm. you know, like the main guy who isn't Tommen just seems like a reluctant person and like has a sweetheart back home like you know they give him little shades of dimension where they can but largely i think the whole point is you didn't want to flesh them out too much because you're trying to uh kind of commiserate with the random unknown soldier like world war one by the way like the more i read about it and seeing it depicted the most fucking horrific war ever, man. Yeah, I, just, I mean, trench warfare is a fucking nightmare, man. Oh my god! Chemical like, attacks. I mean, that's why we banned chemical attacks. It's it's. It, I don't know. That, like watching that really just made you reevaluate, and that's the whole point. Like, and the, so getting to the end of the movie, I know we're kind of going all over the place, but the whole inciting incident is like there. There's this other company that's walking into an ambush, and now they have to go, and they have to make it here in time to stop the ambush. And I thought they were going to get there, and and when they're like, Lieutenant probably went over the over the the top, and I'm like, oh my god, like because that would be this beautiful uh, representation of World War One. Like it's dubbed mm-hmm. the forgotten war. People don't seem to realize it was this great tragedy because World War II came along and holy shit, way more people died. So we just kind of swept that under and we're like, don't worry about that, you know? But it was this nightmarish time where specifically for the people who served. Like war is always hell, but this seemed like the worst version of it. And this unknown person that you don't get to spend a lot of time knowing still has mm-hmm. to go on this fucking adventure. Um and yeah, man, I don't know. I, I really fucking liked it. I'm not saying it's my favorite, but it is, yeah. it's the top, top three of the nominees for sure. Like, I really enjoyed it. Dang. Having not seen Little Women. Little Women, though. <laughs> sure, sure were. Well, go on. I mean, like, again, like you saw, like, here's the thing. So you saw it on a, on, uh, on a perfectly legal uh, download <laughs> somewhere. But the other perfectly legal download that I saw that was available was a 360p. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't hmm. the same experience, dude. And I really just urge. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty high quality uh, download. Like it's not like a, a handy cam in a theater. Is is what I'll say. I gotta tell you, I mean, I, I'm just really astonished that you didn't take to it the same way that I did. It felt to well, me at times like Apocalypse Now, in as much that this, uh, this, this. Hold on, this roving kind of menacing thing that's always happened. Like mm-hmm. there, there are parts of uh, Apocalypse Now, specifically when they start getting more and more up the river, that like the entire time you like wish you could just turn the camera and look uh, behind mm-hmm. the, the backs of the people that you're following. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, th- well, and this really—that's really an interesting that. comparison because I just watched Ad Astra today, and if there's any analog to Apocalypse Now from this year, it would be Ad Astra. I'm not nice. saying it's as good as Apocalypse Now, but it literally is like take out the river and make it space and it's literally brad pitt going down the river space to meet colonel kurtz um it's it's pretty nuts uh way out there too but we're not talking about ad astra because it wasn't nominated for shit except for like some technical awards uh 1917 okay here's here's a question that i will pose to you um first of all and just answer it briefly because i have a you know a little point to make if you can um if you had seen this in means other than a theater would you like it as much yeah i'm sure i would have yeah like that's it's not the only thing i just think that it heightened the experience in a way that i wasn't like it, it was one of those movies that reminded me this is why you need to see movies in a theater 
Um, it's nice. Because I'm, I'm kind of falling off of that altogether, um, really? to be honest with wow. you. Well, like I, I, yes, obviously, like seeing a movie in a theater, there is a certain magic to it. Um, but I think that if a movie is good enough, like I look at a movie like Blade Runner 2049, which obviously like that's a movie you should see in a theater, but it still like holds the same powder power like on my fucking laptop or on my television um, as it did in a Dolby surround sound theater as, as odd as that is. Because I, I think that if you take a movie out of a theater and you're able to enjoy it in almost any format, as long as it's not 360 P um, like you were saying, uh, I, I, I would say that that means it's a, it's a good fucking movie and it's not a fucking theme park ride. I'm not saying well, that. that that's, what I felt about 1917. It felt like a fucking theme park ride. Okay. So like, my rebuttal to that is like, I'm not even specifically talking about action films. Like I just mean uh, so many films like, yeah, like the favorite, if I mm-hmm. saw the favorite on my computer screen, as opposed to seeing that in this beautiful widescreen aspect ratio, right? Like that's the other thing like that we don't really talk about, which is your favorite filmmakers, right? They are purposely choosing this aspect ratio so you see exactly what they want you to see. And what's the first thing that pops up on all these fucking movies, right? Like this has been formatted from its original format to to fit your screen. So it's like it loses something. I'm not saying it changes the experience altogether. And certainly the story you should be able to connect with no matter what. Uh, if you didn't connect with the story, that's interesting to me because, again, the, my emotional entry point was that this is the random unknown person, the, sh- the someone we see get shell-shocked throughout the fucking film only to literally be abandoned by their governments afterwards, Like, which is very fucking sad to me. That was my emotional entry point, and it was just a little sad that... I mean, I yeah, no, I, I felt absolutely nothing when I was watching this, and I had just come off of seeing Come and See. Have you seen Come and See, by the no, way? No, I haven't. I'm sorry. It's about the Belarusian conflict. Uh, some people say it's the only anti-war movie ever made, and it definitely hurt 1917. It's like a lost film from the 80s that just got re-released, so please check it out. Okay, it's cool. Fucking yeah. dev- it's fucking devastating, and they like used live rounds like the actors in the movie, you see them age on screen. Like it's the most startling fucking thing I've ever seen. Um, 1917 in comparison, especially the whole one take thing felt like such a limiting gimmick and it felt like such an unnecessary thing. And there are times where Mendez is placing the camera like in the mineshaft scene or whatever, um, where it just felt like if only they were able to cut, this would be so much more effective. And I felt that way for pretty much the majority of the movie. And there were moments, yeah, where it was like, oh, that's actually fucking stunning. That's actually beautiful. But for a lot of it, it did feel like the same kind of muted sort of grimy color palettes that you see in most war movies. And that's why I say like Deacons, if you look at his work in something like The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, which looks like fucking still images from the 1800s, or you look at his work in even Blade Runner 2049 or Jarhead, to use another Mendez movie, which is like this sort of blown out, um, apocalyptic, anti-waiting-for-war movie. Um, I can't say that there's anything except for maybe two scenes in this where he does anything that's distinctive from any other war movie I've seen. And that was the most I, disappointing thing. If, if this had been a movie in which he had like uh, crafted scene after scene where it was pure spectacle like what dunkirk did because like i i think if it's a fair point of comparison to call this dunkirk 2.0 
um, or to compare the movies, is that with Dunkirk for me, it was just this constant, relentless fucking experience. And because he was able to cut, you were there with the characters when you needed to be. And it was able to build tension through the edit. And for this, and you know how I feel about long takes, it felt like that long take format really fucking limited the movie for me. Okay, sorry. It, I can respond. Yeah, I, I didn't want to cut you off. Yeah, <laughs> okay. good. Yeah, I don't know. This is really weird, man, because I just feel the complete opposite. Like, I, I'm like you. I'm not like, ooh, they did it in one take. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I right. usually get really annoyed about it. I thought it was so purposeful because you needed to feel the claustrophobic nature of trench warfare. Like, you needed to walk through that trench. You needed to feel it. You needed to see all the nameless, faceless people fucking sitting there doing nothing, like, entertaining themselves. You needed to feel the grime. You needed to feel the disillusionment. And I feel like that's why they made that choice. You needed to feel the real distance. You needed to feel every step. Uh, and, and I just thought they did such a really good job of that, man. It's really heartbreaking. Like, we don't usually disagree on stuff. Like, mm -hmm. at least not majorly. And this is, yeah. like, such a big one that we're disagreeing on because I yeah. looked at it like this really amazing thing that also encapsulated like the best of people war is hell right so many so many of these juxtapos uh, juxtaposing scenes i mean when he falls off the waterfall and then all of a sudden the the like lilies are there but then the mm -hmm. lilies give way to dead bodies and you're like fuck like that's the whole point of it i think deacon shot it like this and composed incredible scenes like an example that you were saying he didn't do something that or he did stuff that other people had done we've seen other people do flare scenes apocalypse now my own fucking comparison does flare scenes mm -hmm. i there was something about the way the umbra shifted man like i thought that that entire scene when he leaves the fucking french woman and he's running through the city at night the way that the fly i mean it was just it was dude i don't know it really to, fucks with me and i'm sorry that french woman scene it's like i've seen that in so many oh my movies. god well of course that that's the low point that of the that, that, that was like a ugh, point because it's one of the few scenes with dialogue too and i'm like and this is what this is what <laughs> okay um i i yeah I, i'm so i'm sorry i'm not with you on this i i wish that i was i more wish that you were with me on this because like i feel alone in this i'm obviously like one of the few that took almost nothing from this movie i was upset by it in a weird way because i was expecting it to at the very least be like okay if if it's not going to be story driven at least it's going to be a fucking experience um and it, it really wasn't the whole time i was just thinking about the logistics of it and like what that meant and it, instead of just like being captured by a movie and at the end of the day and i'll talk about this with my top 20 list like every single movie on that list is a movie that made me forget i was watching a movie the entire time i was watching 1917 i was fully again aware that i was watching yeah, i don't know i think i think you are alone in this man i i think that uh, it was really i mean like six seven minutes in i'm locked in like, and I didn't, I mean, obviously I'm watching a movie. I'm sitting in a theater. Sure. But like, I was really emotionally invested in this shit because it did. Well, well I was just going to say like the one thing I really loved about it. And I think it's like, yes, there's this horrific thing that's going on at every turn. There is still that brotherhood, that camaraderie. Did you ever see Peter Jackson's film? Uh, they will not grow old. No, it's incredible. Uh, and it's another spotlight on this forgotten war, man, where 20 some odd million people died and these brave men like and, and at every turn that movie showed people helping 
and doing yeah. the right thing and being that 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 post war dream that was promised and shit like that. So I, I don't know. I would. I mean, I, God, I hope it's it's not going to still be playing. Maybe at some specialty theater when you come see me. I just I really want to force you to watch us in a theater with me. But okay. <laughs> I'm going to save my money for something else. That's depressing, man. I think, I think it was a really wonderfully made movie and it, and it came from a very personal place too, as I found out afterwards, right? Mendes's grandfather, uh, which is really sad, but I mean, you, know, what, you know, whatever, man. It was about nameless soldiers though. Why was Cumberbitch in it? I mean, what does that have to do with it? What do you mean? That was distracting. I mean, used Colin all on- Firth was fine. Colin Firth was fine in the beginning. You had no problem. Oh with that. yeah, no, I had problems with that. I just forgot except you about didn't it. fucking remember him right now when you're bitching yeah, about it. It's a forgettable it. movie. I don't know what to tell you. Oh man, you know what I think's really forgettable? Parasite. No, I'm joking. Uh, let's move on to. We got two more. Let's get through it. Once about time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's movie. All right, so listen, we've we've talked about this extensively as well. I just want to mm. kind of hit my greatest hits on it, then I'll throw it off to you. Uh, I walked out of it saying to you the audacity of Tarantino to write a script like that. Uh, and I genuinely feel that way. It was one of the yeah. only things he's ever written that has emotion tied into his really weird and sometimes worse impulses as a writer. But this mm-hmm. time it all worked because there was this weird fucking like uh, actual love and connection that I felt with the material. I thought there was some of the most stunning direction he's ever done brad pitt driving through hollywood boulevard basically driving all the way through anything on the highway i thought was incredible i thought Mm -hmm. the spawn ranch sequence makes me hope that this last movie is just a straight up horror film a three-hour kubrickian horror film because it was that effective uh brad pitt gives a career performance but brad pitt honestly low-key has been wonderful for 15 20 years and it's not even like it's a career performance but it's like he owns the performance so well he gives the most Brad Pitt performance that he's ever Brad Pitted, if that makes sense. Like, it, yeah, I, I'm but, not going to say that it was like his best work. Like, I still think Assassination of Jesse James. Well, of course, yeah. the work that he did in Ad Astro this year was like so muted and different. There's a lot of people saying he should have um, got the nod for best lead for that film because he did it. But work. once upon a time in Hollywood, he is embodying like that, you know, classic movie star Brad Pitt quality, like to the nth degree in a good way yeah for sure it's not just that i mean i understand the impulse to say that because he is just like he owns the film in a way uh but 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 i do that he's supporting and not best actor and i know that they choose that but i feel like he was the main character of this he's he's certainly kind of the emotional tied to it but but at the same time without the flashiness of rick dalton's emotional moments like the whole lancer thing is like oh wow holy shit like we've entered this place for a second but with him it's so much more muted and at the same time effective. Like I think Leo does great stuff. I do want to give Brad Pitt some credit here because yeah, he's a fun, breezy, cool guy to hang out with, but there are little moments well, like, like in the, the spawn be- ranch where he's actually just checking on an old, like, like there was a tenderness to it that I thought was really beautiful. Okay. I thought there was a, there's yeah. a tenderness at the end of the film where, mm-hmm. and we, we'd said it for laughs the other day. We, we, we said it for yucks, but the truth is like, there's a real beautiful tenderness at that last scene where like he sure. he's there for Leo and, and like, oh, he's like man, such a good friend. Go home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I loved it. And also tripping on acid still. Yeah. <laughs> like, never and I also love that instead of being with his wife, he just goes to hang out with Roman Polanski and right. his wife instead. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, so for me, so, I mean, I, I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful fucking experience. It's probably my number two of the year. When I, in, in a world where Hollywood loves to, circle jerk themselves off and be like look how great we are can this be the year that they do it because i'd be fine with it 
Yeah, uh, what are your thoughts? No, I mean, because it's more subversive than a movie like The Fucking Artist, where it's like, oh, movie about movies. But um, no, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is uh, a movie that the more you sit with it, and I think this has been your experience too, but the more you sit with it, the more it grows on you. Um, because it is such a an aimless movie. And the first time that you're watching it, you're just like, where is this going? Like it has no structure. It's formless. It's just a hangout movie. But then once you get to the end and if you're able to get over the emotional or cognitive hurdle of the fact that Tarantino takes a real life massacre, um, murder, tragedy, and turns it into a um, farcical um, scene of Tarantino and wish fulfillment, uh, then, then you're golden, baby. Um, because I, it, it's such a, uh, a lovely little, uh, ode to old Hollywood, um, to kind of the very specific type of, you know, uh, male Western stars that were kind of on the decline at the time. And that kind of what that said about, you know, that 50s style of filmmaking that was also on the decline. Cause that's really what Rick Dalton represents is all those right. guys that sort of were, you know, fading out while the Steve McQueens of the worlds were, were rising up. Um, and it's, uh, I'm not going to use the word love letter. I almost did because everybody says that when they're it's talking about It's a memory this. piece. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it really is uh, his most emotional movie. And it feels like um, the movie of his that has the most to say. Um, it's and the only it's time that I've so ever, nice. I was going to say, it's the only time that I've ever thought he's serious about this whole retiring thing because it felt yeah. like him looking back. If this had been know, his like, last movie, I'd be like, okay. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, and I just want to say DiCaprio does a great job because he has to basically play the straight man and yet every line delivery is a comedic one that he nails. And then, of course, yeah. the Lancer stuff's wonderful. Really, everything about it's great. I um, I thought this might be uh, the best original screenplay. It might be where they honored this, uh, but yeah. it doesn't look like that because Parasite might do it. I don't know. But yeah, either way, I, I, we're going to go through a ranking at the very, very end. Let's jump into Parasite because I want to make sure we have time for it. Parasite, man. Listen. Uh, yeah, I liked it. Wonderful. Wonderful movie. Probably my favorite, if we're being honest, this year. Yeah. It's kind of it's where I'm going. Uh, of the nominees. Um, yeah. There are other movies. All right, well, me. thanks for listening, and we can all... Yeah. No, I mean, uh, look, Bong's been doing good work for a very long time, and he's like... I've never laugh. heard anybody just call him Bong before. Oh, well, is he not first name basis? I call Spielberg Spielberg. I, I can't call him Bong. Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess you can by that logic. All right, fuck yourself. Listen, Parasite, this is the point. Um, how do you compare movies? How, how are you supposed to compare them? How do you uh, measure this one up to that one? How I do you try not mar- to. Well, how do you take Marriage Story's devastation? How do you take its like, incredibly well-parsed how, how do you story? How do you weigh it against Parasite's uh, you know, fucking razor-sharp commentary and like tightly wound plot structure? Like, uh, I don't know. I just mean as a, as a pure experience, what I'm saying is like, okay, let's say you live in a world where you like 1917 and you watch mm. that. And you're like, wow, that was an experience. I felt from point A to point B that I was engaged and, and the director took me exactly where he wanted to go. That's an achievement. However, you know what's more of an achievement in my fucking mind? To show me mm. an hour of a film that resembles nothing like the second half of that film to be able to switch gears like and pivot with no fucking like jerking or re re, you know reverb or any of that shit and pull a a Mulholland drive yeah when i watched parasite dude that thank you there it is in a weird fucking way that that menace that Mulholland drive gave me 
yeah. to be able to, to shift gears in the middle, but still have this eerie presence that's coming. Uh, that, that, that's what this movie made me feel like. <clears throat> I thought the beginning was this like really funny, uh, oh, look, uh, the, we're going to do a social commentary. We're going to poke fun at uh, inequality because that's the best way to kind of approach it. And then we right. literally crossed some thresholds that freaked me the fuck out. And then for the entire last half or uh, last half of the film, I don't know what I'm going to see, which as a person who studies story, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it was so fascinating and fun. It's the most fun you can ever have watching a movie is just be like, I have no idea where this is going. And that's awesome. You know? Yeah. No, no, it is a thoroughly surprising film, and there's not a whole lot about it that I can say that hasn't already been said, um, which I guess you could say about any of these movies this year, but like Parasite has been so dissected at this point, uh, why it's wonderful, and to really get into it, like more than any other movie on this list, I don't want to spoil anything about it. Um, which is difficult. Do you, should we get into spoilers for this? No, I, I think it's the one thing is I think a lot of people look at it as, as uh, he said, like the big wall is the little subtitles at the bottom. You know, mm-hmm. like I think a lot of people are making that their last film because yeah. it's the, you know, so I don't want to spoil it. What I would say is that there is a midpoint twist that like you said, with a hundred guesses, I wouldn't have got to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, we're not going to spoil anything, yeah. but it radically and- recontextualizes the first half and then changes like it's a dark comedy in a lot of ways, but in, like yeah. when it gets dark, like, it, it, it's fucking dark, man. First half of this was more of a satire than fucking Jojo Rabbit was, um, <laughs> and then it and then it turns into something completely different, Much darker but, to the darker yeah. where Jojo may, maybe should have gone, considering the subject matter. But like, yeah, yeah, I would uh, say so. Uh, no, like Parasite is fucking wonderful. The cast, the fact that none of them got nominated uh, is kind of a goddamn crime because there's not a single person in this movie that wasn't convincing thoroughly. Um, and I don't know their names, which makes me... Well, you know what it is, dude? It's like, it's like look, because the Super Bowl just happened, right? We call ourselves yeah. champions, but no one else plays fucking football. So it's <laughs> right. like, whatever. But like, it is really offensive and it has that jock football mentality that we still like... I'm sorry, the father in Parasite, who I forget, I, I obviously I don't know his name. I feel like such an asshole for not knowing because he put in such an incredible performance, man. Like mm-hmm. everyone did. Everyone showed up. And I, I think that movie, I really hope that it's the, it's, a, it's the foreign film that really sparks a lot. Like remember when Pan's Labyrinth hit and there was a boom for a minute where people were like yeah. interested in foreign films. And I really fucking hope Parasite does it, but expands it because, because Pan's Labyrinth only got nominated and got love for best foreign. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We relegated it to that. Uh, right. By making it in its little corner and Parasite might actually be the foreign film that, that breaks through. The question is if it does, if it say, if it wins best picture, which would be amazing and it deserves it. Yeah, I think it deserves it, certainly. Um, of the films nominated for sure. Like fuck. Um, but if it does that, the question then becomes, does Hollywood actually change or is it just a one-off? Is it just a, again, throw them a bone kind of situation? Does no, the movie I, have to have this much hype and momentum in order for that to happen again? Or does it open up the floodgates? I think it has to open the floodgates only because the business models changed, right? You have him, like his previous film was Okja, right? The fucking mm. Netflix movie. So Netflix, who's going in there, who is now making, Roma got nominated last year, Irishman this year. Like we are living in a world in the next five years, Netflix will win an Oscar. I know that there's still this industry yeah. bias, right? So it's like, I don't, I think that Netflix, we're in a content war. Everyone's streaming up. Everyone's looking for content. 
there's no way, man. I think finally, if nothing else, because the supply needs to meet the demand or the demand needs to meet the supply rather. You know what I'm saying? Like we are going to get these stories that I think are, are bigger. And I think yeah. that like, if, especially if he wins, think about Guillermo pre-win to where he, to, to after win, right? Like, and I'm talking because he won for best uh, thing for Pam's Labyrinth, right? And mm-hmm. then he won for Shape of Water, but it's just like his influence as an executive producer, the things he's been able to get done, the voices he's been, he's been able to amplify um, by, by having status. And then think about the fact that Quran and Inuritu also won Oscars. And now you have these three powerhouses that are Spanish yeah. people who are looking for other people. I think that Bung is going to do the exact same shit. I think who, who did old boy is that Park Chen Wook? I can't say mm-hmm. is that it. it's like those cats, like they are finally getting the recognition they deserve after putting out quality yeah. stuff for years. And I think I have to hope anyway, that it's the beginning of a real movement, you know? Yeah. South Korea is lit, bro. They got great cinema, man. So listen, I, 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 we've been, we've been at it for a while. What I want to do is just take a very quick victory lap. And then just say personal preferences. Um, I would say that like, if once wins, I'm fine with it. If, uh, if Parasite wins, uh, I'm fine with it. Uh, if Marriage Story wins, I'm fine with it. I really loved Marriage Story. Um, other than that, all the other nominees, having not seen Little Women with respect to Little Women, I mean, they're they're not on the same tier of filmmaking or um, um, emotional fucking breathtaking moments that i kind of require from the movies we're going to call the best you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. where do you land what are your top three and uh give it to us um i mean top three i i might actually put marriage story above parasite just in terms of how it affected me but it's like again how do you weigh the two against each other um so so i would say like let's just give it a tie parasite and marriage story and then i put once upon a time in hollywood right below that um, I would not be upset if the Irishman won and uh, I would not be upset if Little Women won and the rest I would be varying degrees of upset if they won. Um, but really, if I can clarify something, which I should have done from the top, I don't give a shit about the Oscars. And it's right. funny that we just spent like two hours talking about them. But um, well, yeah, like, like, only so we can do our part two where we talk about the things that were robbed because uh, this right. was a very good year for film and certainly good ones on this list, but not the best ones. And that's the sad reality of it. You know, mm-hmm. the best films are rarely the ones that are nominated. Uh, yeah, but this year did all right compared to other years. Yeah. Yeah, you hope, you hope and you pray that you get better. But uh, so look, I think that we'll end it here. And then obviously we'll do a wrap up after the Oscars. We're going to put this out beforehand and then we'll do a part two about like, Hey, the thing's not nominated because there's no time limit on that. Right. <laughs> like, I didn't have to do that today in order to get it out. Uh, mm-hmm. So Max has been fun, man. Bringing back the, 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 the movies into the, the, the ashes of movies and shit to make shallow. Yeah. Re- reborn into the Phoenix that is shallow dives. Re Jason Bourne. Uh, from the sorry I mean like he can't do Jason Bourne now because he's too big that's the mm. problem with fucking Matt Damon now and it makes me tragically is sad he too big like he's, he's too big. fat is that what you're saying he can't get back at Bourne shape <laughs> come on man. I mean if Bale can do it Damon can just put in the work for once in his uh, life I doubt it I doubt it man <laughs> Like, motherfuckers from Boston, he's doing the worst Southern accent I've ever heard uh, but at the same time he commits to it and that's all you want from acting so the fact that he wasn't nominated, it's the real sham. On our next episode, let's also talk about the super snubs because it'll make sense when we're talking about all the movies that should have got a best picture or a best actor or a best screenplay or something like that. So, yeah. all right, now you have that direction. Uh, we will be back, uh, what, next week to do another episode of Shallow Dives. Until then, I'm Christian. 
I'm Max. Bye.